This episode of Reality Escape Pod is brought to you by Morty, Escape Tales, Buzzshot, and Patreon supporters like you. Buzzshot is customer satisfaction software for your escape room business. They offer an assortment of pre and post game features, including robust waiver management, branded team photos, and streamlined review management for Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google Reviews, Morty, and more. As a player, I love when companies use Buzzshot. I like getting my team photo right away. And the best part is that Buzzshot has these overlays you can put on the team photo. And I can walk away with a photo that has the name of the escape room I just played and the company, which is really useful for helping remind me of the game I just played. I also like that they'll remind me to write reviews for these games. And they also now have integrations with Morty. Streamline your marketing and grow your business at buzzshot.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D. When booking your free trial to get 20% off your first three months. Details in the show notes. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Each episode this season, we will be interviewing escape room creators from different countries. Today's guest is from Vienna, Austria. We're joined by Lucas Rauscher, owner of the escape room company Crime Runners. He is best known for his 90-minute epic, Going Underground. Welcome, Lucas. Hi, nice to be here. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. Crime Runners is such a cool and unusual name for an escape room company. Where did it come from? How did you come up with this name? Uh, that's funny because back then when we had the idea for Crime Runners, we were like everyone else when we started the escape room company. We played another escape room and we were thinking like, hey, maybe we could do this better. And little did we know back then how tough it would be to make it a little bit better. But we tried our best and we think we are doing good and we wanted to do our own thing. But my idea was I want to stand out from other typical escape rooms. So I wanted to focus on storytelling and do something different. So I thought I wanted to have this movie-like experience and this focus on storytelling. And back then there popped a lot of names in my mind. like. Blade Runner and Maze Runner. And Maze Runner was such a perfect name, in my opinion, for an escape room. And we wanted to have this blockbuster Hollywood name. And then I realized we could do cool criminal stories. And in our concept, we have this operator. This is a mysterious hacker, which are pre-recorded audio files from an actor, which leads the player through the game. And so we thought about this, okay, we can do bank heists or prison escapes or stuff like this. And then we are not really limited. And it's always cool to have a good crime story or to be even that the players are the criminals and to doing the opposite of the hero, um, which could make proper stories. So we had the mysterious hacker and we came up with all the stories for this setting. And because of the criminal point, we made it crime runners. When <laughs> runners, because it should be plural and not singular because it's a team game. I do enjoy playing as the bad guy. I do too. We are like the slaves of this mysterious bad guy. We do not really know if it's a bad guy. I do not want to spoil too much. 
our first three games are basically connected. All our games are connected in the same universe, but our first three games are really tight connected and even with uh, a little a story loop. But basically, they're still their own games. But for example, our first idea was um, we want to break in a room of a corrupt congressman. And it was because we have some problems in Austria with corrupt politicians. <laughs> and we had like this one or two major standouts, which um, led me to write a story about a new character, which is a combination of two or three corrupt congressmen we had there. I even wrote a lot of jokes, but very few people get this, but it's so common. So it started with a really typical escape room. It was our first escape room with this, you go in the office of the congressman. But we did our point with this hacker and with an election spot of this congressman. So if you play the game, you even see this election spot about him. And he is very important for a story. And he's even more important in the later chapters, our second and third game, which led all to the cliches we have in this save the world and stuff and zombie apocalypse and stuff like this. <laughs> so, so it's a very weird connection we wrote there, but it was so fun to write. And this corrupt congressman, who does like, hopefully not many people do like corrupt congressmen or corrupt politicians, but this one... He grew on me. I don't know because when I wrote him, it was just fun. And I combined every politician I hate, I think, in this congressman. But uh, in the start of the third chapter, I wrote him a little bit more positive. That this is not just such an evil guy. He has his point. And later, even in our online games, there's always this corrupt congressman. And he's a diverse character now. Let's say it like this. If he ran in the US, he'd still get 49% of the vote. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. In Austria, it would be 40%. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a pretty complex story for 2015, right? Is when you first opened your escape rooms. Yeah, but it was the story crew on every chapter. It was very basic. It was like this congressman, he's corrupt, and they are everything we wrote about this. But you were right, we learned that it was too much audio and too much video for players to get everything. I always like when the story is there, but I have to find better ways in escape room to tell stories. We went better in every game, I think. And then for the fourth game, for Going Underground, we had all this background information and stuff like this, but we wanted to tell the story via set decoration, not via video files anymore, because the attention span in an escape room is not that much. And then you do not want to bore the people. You've watched three minutes, that's too much, for example. And this is something every escape room owner learned or better learned. If not, then it's still not that good. But, but yeah, it's, it's like a basically, it's a learning curve. Yeah, you know, you're right. Environmental storytelling, in my opinion, is always better than being hit with a ton of dialogue. <laughs> so what were you doing before escape rooms? I basically come from public relations and media work. And I was already an entrepreneur back then. And after two years of being self-employed in public relations and doing lots of different topics, I did software e-commerce stuff. I did diversity management. It was very diverse. I did events and stuff like this. I, like everyone else, I played this escape room, which was totally okay for 2014. And I was like, oh my God, I maybe can do this better. I want to do this better because there is so much potential because this gameplay element of puzzling is everything. And you can do everything with that. And that, that it's so much fun in this group activity to basically do a movie blockbuster or video game in real life. 
And so I think I never burned for something like this. I have so much passion for something that I really needed to do that. The next few months was like building the team to make this happen. And then I found my two business partners and we started it with everyone was like scratching every money he has. And we had such a minor budget, which you could not possibly start in this state of the industry. And and so we made it somehow happen. And I, I do not at all regret that because I think there was not a single moment when I thought I do not do that. I my thought back then was like, I need to do it as quick as possible because it only will get worse because a lot of people will do that. And I was right because when there was like two companies, escape room companies in, in Vienna already, when, and when we had the idea. And when we, from the idea to opening the first room it was like six seven months and in this time 15 other escape room opened and i was like oh god fuck my life i don't know can i say this is this like two, two, <laughs> can i say three words yeah, I, you're fine. You're i'm fine. not like on, on television so i can't say it i don't yeah. i was like okay fuck it will be like what did i do <laughs> everything i ever owned or money i had put into that and i'm not even sure if i make it to opening <laughs> it was a really risky move but i do not regret that but it was like yeah and then we started and it never ended since then because when we opened the first game we knew we need as fast as possible the second game i already had 70 percent of the story done so we opened this after two months which is crazy and we had after three or four years we finally did half of the game redesign it completely because it wasn't that good i wanted to have and it's so much better now and one year later we did our third game and back then i thought oh my god the third game is the best game in the world but i little did i know because i was in this bubble in austria where like the austrian market was a little bit behind the rest of the world and people told me go play to berlin the room this is what i did during the testing game of the third game I went, as friends of mine knew I do not do vacations very often because I work all the time. So they knew how to trick me into a vacation. Hey, you wanted to play escape rooms in Berlin. And they invited me to go on a short trip, which I could excuse for myself because it still would be market research. And I went to Berlin and it was like a major blow because it was like, I thought we had a good game with the third game and I still love my third game, but... Then I played The Room, and The Room is one of the best companies in the world, and realized, oh my God, I have to do so much better. <laughs> it will kill me and everything. And that's, that's the reason, basically, because I traveled through Europe and played all the amazing games, which brought me an idea for going underground to do it different and how I want to build the game. And there was this kind of arms race. And everyone has this arms race right now to build the best escape room in the world for himself. Because I think everyone should build it for himself, how he wants or she wants to play their own game. And the problem for me was like, okay, this arms race, I do not think it's healthy. We cannot compete with the old concept. With this 90-minute slot, you can just do the math for the revenue. And I wanted to have a solution how I can build sustainable, bigger games with more impact, but even make it somehow worth it. Because I do not see investing like 300,000 euro into a game which has only 90 minutes slots. That's not a healthy business model. So how did you go about trying to adjust this business model? We had a lot of ideas and there are a lot of ideas on concept already out there. 
And I swear I didn't know back then that there was already something like pipelining. But we realized when we had already the idea we wanted to do something like pipelining. Then we hear about Time Run, and which is really interesting because the name is so freaking similar. So we went to London, and it was amazing. It was, I think, Pioneer's work, what they did there, already in 2015. But we played this, and we already knew why we are playing that, and we loved it. That's not how we want to do that. I really like this, but in my opinion, pipelining should also improve the experience for the players. And for me... It felt like sometimes you're rushing from the room to the next room. You have so many puzzles, you cannot solve them all because after 12 minutes, you have to go to the next puzzle. We're talking about Celestial Chain at Time Run. For example, yeah, yeah Celestial Chain. Yes. And, and, and many other companies did this concept, which is not a bad concept, to be honest. It's just not, I do not like this concept from my games because mm-hmm. I felt like rushing from the part to the next part. And five times I had the feeling we are doing shit. We are really bad at solving the puzzles. And we were even better than 80%, he told us afterwards. And we were so stressed out. But I was like, that's not how I want to do that. I want to have everyone have the best experience. The feeling of success, we didn't do it like the most efficient. But I think we found a good mix. The people do not realize that they are pipelined in our games. So we had a lot of stuff. I don't want to go too much in detail, but we even have puzzles which are only for enthusiasts. And if they are too slow, it's only decoration for them. And you're not missing out on stuff. You wouldn't even like the puzzle. So this actually ties into a number of the different questions that I have for you. Because I haven't had a chance to play your games yet. I haven't had a chance to play Going Underground, although it is very high on my list of must-play games. One of our writers and a good friend of mine, Lindsay Froelich, has helped me kind of prep for this. And she had a whole bunch of different questions for you specifically around the approach to going underground. And the first of them was, from her perspective, you made a game that was very approachable for new players and also very appealing to an enthusiast who's played, in her case, I think more than 300 games. What was your thinking behind that? How did you approach doing that? Yeah, first, we learned a lot of our mistakes in the first three games. I do not, for example, regret the concept we had in our first three games. We had this concept of the final five minutes, the finale, where everything gets more tighter. We do want to have the storytelling via visual effects and audio effects, but there is always the possibility you do not make it. And if you do not make it, it sucks. Sometimes it's ego, sometimes it's okay, but sometimes... It's a bad feeling for them. And I do want to get rid of the bad feeling for everyone. I want that everyone makes it. I want to experience everything, especially the finale. Because if you fuck up the finale, it's not that great. And so we thought we make it different. And now we had the technical skills to do that. We didn't have this before. And I cannot go in too much into detail with that because that was really spoil a lot of stuff. But first thing was for me, I want to do this environment storytelling and everyone loves to have more rooms and to really like this feeling of an Indiana Jones blockbuster in real life. When you're saying more rooms, you mean multiple individual spaces. People are traversing lots of different yes. environments as they play. Yes, we have basically we have 10 rooms only in this one games different setting and different games and we split it up in four parts and this completely different settings so like we have a born in kiosk we have a cave we have a mine and we have a military base you basically work in the story from level to level but you have still the secret door feeling of an escape room and if you make the parts big enough from a time perspective then you still have this kind of puzzle flow 
which is very hard to make. The problem of pipelining is often other bloggers told me in France, they played a game where they had a pipeline game where you split from one room to another room, but it's only a puzzle for each room. And that's not good because then you never have this amazing puzzle flow experience. So you have always find like the thin red line to not overdo it or to less for this. So we approach it story-wise first, and the puzzles has to be in the story and in the set. It should never be something which is not in the world and in the theme. It's basically very naturally. The only problem is when you want to squeeze another puzzle in because when you realize, oh, that doesn't work there, it is a short time. Afterwards, it's so much harder to build a puzzle in. And we were basically doing the build. We had this, we were standing in the environment, which we already built in the cave, for example. And Stefan, my business partner, Stefan, we were like brainstorming what we could put in there, what would be cool and not worse than the rest. And the two puzzles we created there in the build and switched during the build, they are two of my favorites. So this was very fun. So you have multiple spaces and you're pipelining players through how does the pipeline function within your game going underground so it's still a prototype and we learned a lot from this so i want the next game which i hopefully can do soon which i have already in mind we wanted to, in the beginning to, to pipeline every 30 minutes we didn't do that we decided during testing we do only 45 minutes and even that we have still like slots we are pausing because it would decrease the experience for the players so we decided basically against the money, make like this mix. Um, but we have this 45 minutes and it's a 90 minutes game. I mean, that's a significant increase in throughput, even if you're not hitting the 30 minute mark. It's already doubling up efficiency. And you're for, because it's an amazing game and so, such a big game, you can charge more. So there are a lot of points which helped us. And I think we did really a healthy mix for player experience that we can survive with that. But we still do not have to hold money back from this because there was something like a pandemic. But to go back to your point, we have these four huge parts. And when the player group A is already in the third part at a certain point, then we let the player group B into the first part. So basically you have your group A goes in and they play up to, it sounds like part three of four. And... Once they're there, you go in and you reset parts one and two, and then you let team B into the process. The minute um, a group leaves a part, the game master enters and resetting already. So if group A left part one and is already in part two, they are already resetting part one. Because if they are in part three, they are resetting part two and part one is already ready. Now, do you have a mechanic or a technique for slowing down gameplay? So, you know, like what if group B is really fast and group A is really slow? Is that ever an issue? And do you have a technique for slowing group B down if they're too fast? More than one. So first, the game masters, of course, it's always a decision. Do we have to debug everything if that's possible? In some passes, we have like levels like we do the easy version the hard version the enthusiast version it's a very technical perspective because we have these three stages in technique so that's one thing we have one fail safe another fail safe is which are most part and which is the most complicated to do is like we have puzzles which are at a certain point only for enthusiasts so if they are fast at a certain point they do get this puzzle and we have like even audio and visual effects which lead you to that puzzles. And enthusiasts enjoy this puzzle most. 
if I let beginners play this, they do not like the puzzle. Because it's a typical escape room enthusiast puzzle, which is very complicated, but you have to coordinate a lot of stuff. You have to be a really good group and you have to listen. You be careful. And then it's a really cool puzzle. But beginners do not enjoy this. So we made it possible without spoiling too much that if they are too slow to this point, they are not getting this puzzle at all. The door is open and this, the stuff is still working as a set, but then it's, there are no buttons and then there's an old microphone. It's basically a military radio, so we have noises to lead you to this puzzle. But if they do not doing this, the noises do not lead you to the puzzle, and it's not like the LED lights do not oh. on like this. And there was never a group who realized they didn't get this puzzle. That's so smart. I've only played one pipeline game, and of course, we were very fast, and I could literally hear the other group on the other side of the door. And we were so confused because we were like, what are we missing from this room? And then a GM runs in with the missing piece. And so they were deliberately withholding the essential piece to solve the puzzle because we were too fast in the first room. And it was very frustrating for us. It wasn't fun at all. I very much like your technique a lot more. You have alluded to some of the investment that you've made in going underground. And my understanding is that there are some very large interactions that you have put a lot of time, money, effort, and skill into. Way too much money. (laughs) (laughs) What's the thinking and what goes into deciding whether you are investing in something big or going with a smaller, more affordable solution? My mindset was like, no backing off. I do not want at all to scratch anything I want to have in there. So everything to 11. Everything to 11. But of course, we had some things we had to do. But our mindset was like, while we are concepting and designing, was like, if we cannot do something, we have to come with a similar, even epic stuff, which is doable. If we have to scratch something, which we had to do, for example, our last part, we had like too small of a space. So I had to get rid of a lot of decorations I wanted. It was like, we have to come with a similar epic puzzle idea or environment idea or special effect idea, which is equal great and not something we scratched. That. <laughs> so that, that, that's what like the mindset we went in there and oh boy, everything went so expensive. <laughs> But of course, it went expensive because you are developing stuff. If you develop, it's always, oh my God, you don't never know how much it will be. You can plan so much. But I just chuckled at our very first idea of going underground. I had, oh, maybe I can do this for 140,000 euro. No, I couldn't do it for 140,000 euro. It was in the end, it was nearly 400,000 euro. I mean, it's 10 rooms. How big is the footprint of the space? 150 square meters, very tight 150 square meters, getting the most out of it, to be honest. What is that in feet, David? My mouth is so bad. A square meter is, it's a little bit larger than a square yard. So it's not a small space, but for the amount of money and effort that has been put into it, you're cramming a lot in there. But the other thing is, I'm basically too dumb to hold a screwdriver. So I'm not a set builder, so I have to get companies I basically cannot do anything except maybe design or annoy other people. So I have to get good people for that because if I would do it, I would fuck it up. So so (laughs) the the only thing I'm good at is finding really great people to work with me on something. So that's my superpower and it's the only thing I can do. So, So that's basically working for me. But of course, it's more expensive because I cannot build the set by my own, for example. If I would do that, the game wouldn't be a tropical room. 
So on the subject of Terpica, Going Underground ranked 27 in the 2021 Terpica list. So top escape room project enthusiast choice awards. This is a international ranking amongst really experienced escape room players. It's a popular game. How has the ranking on Terpica affected your business and going underground? Of course, you get a good reputation in the international community and people are listening more to you. On the other hand, it's just an amazing award for you because everyone knows the Google list and the TripAdvisor list, but they are just marketing lists. But Terpica really means something. That's really from the community to the community and to the owners. And that's like basically the Oscars for the industry. And it is an amazing feeling. I always prefer to say the year before Topica because then we did rank 10. (laughs) (laughs) So I told back then friends of mine, if we do Topica, I'm going to market the shit out of it. (laughs) Of course, I did do press releases in Austria because we are the only Topica room. And it's felt amazing to succeed with this. But to be honest, my goal was to build a top 20 game room or top 30 or top 50 room. But why we doing the build and it took us two years from that year to execution, we went through a lot. Like every company crisis there is, we had. And it was really, really, we gave it all. And when we were in the first testing groups, you know you have a good game, but you don't know it's a great game. You, you are already so blind and so burned out that you are not sure if you have like Napoleon complex and it's a shitty game afterwards. You know, it's good, but you don't know it's great. And to see the first group play the game, I was so nervous. And it was a friend from Germany of mine, from another company, Team X from Cologne. And my benchmark back then was Gorillum from Germany and The Room Berlin. And she went and we really weren't finished with the game. We had cables out of the set and she was the first person who played this because she really was in Vienna and she said, I do not care. I do just want somehow to play it. I even showed her the final video with the laptop and stuff like this. So it was really not finished. It was the first prototype test group and not the proper game. And the second test group went like four weeks later than that. And then we had 70 test groups. But after the game, she came to us and told me for her, she doesn't know it's better, but at least on the same level. And that's uh, like Scurridum and the room. And I think the team and me, we were nearly in tears after the two years. We were so fucked up already after all the time. And this was really, it was such a relief that you didn't build this for nothing, that someone who know what are good games and understands that love the game and she tells me still it's still her favorite game oh. it's, this is this meant so much for me back then because i was really done <laughs> i was really not sure if i ever build something again <laughs> the thing was back then in 35 years when i do build the next game <laughs> then, yeah, <laughs> after my vacation yeah but now i'm ready to do something new We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing escape rooms and other immersive social outings. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. David, I was really excited when Andy told us he had implemented a new feature. Do you want to share it with our listeners? 
Yeah, Morty quietly launched a new feature that I think is one of the biggest improvements that they have made since the launch. And that is the introduction of like company pages. So previously you could only click into individual games. But what I would do is I would go and I would click into a game and I would say, oh, that's interesting. I want to know more about that company. I want to know what other games they have. I want to wishlist all of those games because I'm planning on going to that company. And you just couldn't do that. And so I had been poking at the Morty team pretty regularly in hopes that they would implement this feature. And they did. And it has made my use of Morty go up a lot. I really love this feature and I think that everyone who kind of aspires to play some really great games and uses Morty to track that, like me, I think you're going to enjoy this as well. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details in the show notes. Back at Eric, the UK escape room conference in 2019, you gave one of my favorite talks that I've heard at any conference, not just an escape room conference, but just any conference. And you spoke about the struggles you had with your business and all of the different crises that you ran into, which were numerous. I loved this talk because it was so honest and we are always hearing about the things that go well when people make these great games we rarely hear people talk about and open up about the things that went wrong i know that we do not have time and i don't know that you even care to relive all of these things (laughs) No, no problem but i'm curious like What's the high level? What are like a few of the bigger challenges that you were dealing with back then? And even since, like, what are the crises that have defined the last few years of Crime Runners and your work? It's very funny because the talk back then was my first huge company crisis. And now I have already five behind me <laughs> and we are still like in the last one also because the pandemic is still affecting us but i'm really see it feeling like for us the last meters but you never know you know you never know a pandemic war and recession so that's the one thing but back then it was a feeling for me that i'm feeling as an entrepreneur and as a creator and as a team player for example, there was project management mistakes even from me and other stuff. And we had a lot of fighting and uh, even a founder clash. So basically we had like this, the talk was about all the crisis we had at this one major crisis and how we realized that we cannot sugarcoat it anymore and we have to act. And we overcame this and this is always my mindset. A crisis is already a chance to finish the crisis and being stronger and better than before as a company and as a human being and as a team player. And we managed, I think, in every crisis we had that. But it's now it's a little bit enough. So I do want to have a vacation. So you've had enough personal growth yeah. through crisis yeah, but, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think there's never enough personal growth, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could work on personal growth and not have it tied to a crisis. A vacation would be awesome. But <laughs> no, no, I'm already in a very good state for that. 
To answer the question from David, back then, before I did the talk, I had these friends in the industry and they were like, for me, benchmarky. Also they were like a benchmark for me and they were like always just seeing how great they are and how fine you're doing, how perfect you're doing. And this fucked me up because we are struggling so much. I'm doing everything wrong. And then another friend of mine who already did build an amazing game, which one of my favorite game of all time. During the crisis, I asked them, man, how did you build that game? Because I don't know what I'm doing wrong and how did you survive that? And he was like telling me, brother, if it wouldn't been for an investor, I would have given up long time ago. And this was the one single sentence was such a relief because it showed me that everyone is struggling. Everyone has problems. If you create something new, you will struggle. You have these problems and you have to overcome this somehow, but you're not doing anything wrong because it's normal to do something wrong if you risk something. I think people could gain much more from people who already did something if they realize that we all are trying our best, but we will have struggles to succeed. I hate this clean picture of startup companies who are saying what rock stars they are because nobody is. And a lot of people got lucky, but even the best entrepreneurs I know of, they are telling me 99% of the time how much shit they had to go through. And one person is about their success stories. And I wanted to be more open about that. And it was like a therapy for me, this talk, because I think people realize that it's normal to struggle and everyone should know that. That was the reason we did the talk. I loved this talk so much because I do speak to so many owners and so many skilled creators and I hear the stories of what they struggled with and what went wrong and what's weighing on them and the problems that they have with their business partners, the problems that they have with the local regulatory authorities. And also, you know, we have our own struggles just running Room Escape Artist and running this podcast and running Recon. And we put forward these hopefully polished products, but it ain't easy. And especially in 2021, Recon 2021, me and Lisa made major mistakes in the way we managed the team through that entire conference. And it was devastating. And you live in this cage of your own creation. It's really hard. And ultimately, you have to push through it and get out a product that looks polished and looks like nothing went wrong along the way. But hearing your talk and hearing you as someone who, you know, even back then, even in 2019, very well regarded in the community, hearing you get on stage and open up about that was very moving to me. Thank you so much. I was so nervous about the talk. I didn't knew back then if it's a great idea or maybe if I just doing a mistake because you always could get mistakes used against you. But I was thinking, fuck it, I'm just trying this. And I get such amazing feedback from you and other guys. And for me, it was such an such a good feeling that it was the right decision to do that. And that it's good to talk openly about stuff. And I really can encourage everyone. I think a lot of more people would risk something if they would understand that there are not superheroes or rock stars 
in any industry that it is a tough road if you want to do something new or want to create something and that you do not have like this, oh my God, I can never do stuff like this. Just try it out if you want to risk something. And yeah, even the people I knew back then who were telling how great they are and how perfect they are, I knew from friends and everyone, everyone is going through the same. Everyone is going through the same shit. Mistakes are getting made and stuff happens. Nobody could see that there will be a pandemic. It's normal. It's completely normal to struggle. The things you are struggling with most are often the best things you will ever do. We hear that a lot on this podcast. And David and I interview a ton of super high level creators, designers, and owners on this podcast. And almost all of them have major imposter syndrome. So it's a very real thing. Except for Chris Latner. Except he for Chris Latner. <laughs> so it probably didn't help that he was one of the first people that you talked to and visited his his games in this business. <laughs> oh God, I have such a fun story. Can I share a fun story about this? Absolutely. Escape Tales is a tabletop escape room series with a focus on strong story and puzzles. Their games have weight and atmosphere, and the decisions you make along the way change the outcome. They are each crafted by the folks behind Lock Me and the Escape Room World Championship. They really know escape rooms and love them, and it shows in their product. Escape Tales feels about as close to a real-life escape room as you can get on the tabletop. The Book of Rituals is the latest product from Escape Tales, and it is the most different of their collection. Published this year in 2022 and available in eight languages, this is a book with over 30 hours of puzzles for you to explore. They aren't so easy, it is divided into three chapters, and you can kind of work your way through it slowly, which is what Lisa and I love to do with puzzle books like this. We'll grab one and we'll take it with us while we travel, and we'll work through puzzles at airports or at bars. It's just a thing we really love doing, and so this one is going to be traveling with us in the near future. I love me a good puzzle book. And this one is beautiful too. It's hardcover. I love the feel. It's got like a cloth cover on it. So again, like with everything else that Escape Tales produces, I feel like the products are just really high quality. And the puzzles are hard, but that's typical for a puzzle book. It's something that you can really sit down and sink your teeth into. And I love that it's portable. You can play it together or you can play it solo, which does make it great for for travels, as David has said. And the Book of Rituals is so well built, it survived an attack from PG's puppy. <laughs> we'll put a photo in the show notes. You can buy any installment of the Escape Tales series at store.boardanddice.com. Board and Dice is now shipping from both the United States and the European Union, so your games will not get held up in customs. Use discount code ROOMESCAPEARTIST at checkout to receive a generous 25% off your purchase. Details in the show notes. When I told you before that when we were in the testing phase of our third room, I thought, oh, I have one of the best games ever. And it was such a major step, the third room for us. And then I met Chris 
and played his games and he's basically telling me how shit we are <laughs> and, and that they are doing everything proper. and they were amazing back then they were my favorite games and i was like completely blown away so i really had this feeling oh fuck i just invested like fifty thousand euro in a game and i'm already behind the industry was my feeling then and it fucked me up and then i built going underground had like for one or two weeks the feeling I did really now build like a top 30 game or something. And I was on the Up the Game conference and there was this name of a game which wasn't on the topical list already, which was called The Dome. So I was like, oh, I booked this game, great, because I hear it from people, ah, oh, you should play it, it's a good room. So I went without knowing anything about the dome and played the dome. And I had the same feeling again. And I couldn't stand it. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, fuck, how did, oh my God, they did it so fuck. Oh God, I have to do, I want to just close going underground from the scratch. Oh, I will never build a game again. I'm so behind. I was like, I just wanted to jump in the next river. And when I played this game and, I, and it was so amazing to play this. And I went outside and Eric, the creator of the game, were there. And I like nearly tear in the eyes i was just blown away i was like when i went out the game completely amazed i was like i do not want to know the pain you had to go through building that game so he, he told me basically then in one sentence he really struggled a lot which i on the spot i understood because the dome is something from another world i love this game so much the dome is pretty incredible but you know not all movies have to be giant action adventure blockbuster movies. And a lot of my favorite movies are small little indie films with a very small budget. So I don't think you always have to look at these big, giant, flashy rooms and constantly try to compare yourself to that. It's not a bad aspiration, but there's plenty of other ways of doing amazing rooms that are just as fun and as touching as those giant blockbuster ones. I totally agree, but I want to have both a giant blockbuster <laughs> room with a perfect story. I have a second favorite game, which is totally on the same spot for the dome for me. I cannot see if it's my favorite game or not, because it's so different. What's the game? Dark Park, the end. I also struggle with which one I prefer. I think the end is incredibly underrated relative yes. to the dome. I'm really thinking the same. Yeah, I'm an unapologetic Dark Park fanboy, and we're going to have to have Heiss on the podcast. It's been long overdue, but I think that game is spectacular, and I think it's not celebrated nearly enough. I totally agree with you, because for me, it's such a different game compared to the Dome. It's such a different experience. But for me, and I pride myself with focus on storytelling, but the end, how they tell a compelling story, it completely blew me away. And they even managed to make story twist into it, that player experience and getting even, they are getting the story. How they did that game is for me, I never played something similar, which blew me away like this. Dark Park, the end is really underrated. And there was times when we were in the Tabaka ranking before them, I think we are still before them. And I do not understand that going underground gets better ratings than Dark Park The End. It's not okay. There are games I do not think they, they should be in the ranks before us, but The End should be before us. They should be totally before us because it's such an amazing game. And I'm still a little bit angry about that The End get not this recognition they deserve. 
The end doesn't feel big or flashy, but when I was looking back at my Europe trip and going through the games, I realized that it probably had my favorite narrative of all of the games that we had played there. We'll talk a little bit about the end in the bonus episode. We won't get too spoilery, but I I have a lot of thoughts. We'll chat about that there. I also do want to chat about some of the things that went wrong with Recon 2021. I think we'll save that for the bonus episode as well. It's been a year and a half, and I am finally feel comfortable talking about all of the things that we really struggled with. Do you have any lessons learned or any advice you want to give to other business owners that you've learned from dealing with all of these crises in your business? The best thing you can do in a crisis is the first thing you should do. And the most important thing is to realize that you are in a crisis, that you stop the sugarcoating. Because in the minute you realize and you fully understand in which situation you are and that it's now survival, then you are starting to act different and to focus on how do I get out of this. We were basically like weeks before bankruptcy in our first crisis. And when we realized we solved everything in like one week, the major stuff. But before it was a struggle of month, it was always this feeling like we've been through worse. It's not that bad and stuff like this. You just stop sugarcoating. Mm. And to say this loud that you are in a crisis helped for me a lot. The other thing is it works for me very well because I'm used to it, that I'm very open. I'm, I'm to ask friends or people for help, but a lot of people struggle with that. But it's a normal thing you do. You should always ask for help and you will be amazed. People, you do not think they would help you. And I had even competition, which helped me, which I'm still very glad about this. And we're still friends with them. And I was, I would always do the same. I would, if a competitor asked me and I already did that, I will help them, even in the same city. What helped us, for example, we asked in our network, a famous project manager, And he was like there for three or four hours and it solved like 80% of the problems, um, which were like, we were at a point we couldn't go anymore. Yeah, that's for me the major point. And when you are in a crisis and you get out of it proper, of course, if you are not lucky, you can do everything right, but you still can fail. That is part of the game, honestly, sadly, which worries me the most because even if you do something right, you can still go into a crisis and it's not your fault. Everything can happen. But if you manage to come out of crisis, you will always be stronger than before because you have this experience, which only people have as an entrepreneur, which you can only get if you're in a crisis and get your way out of it and you fight your way out of it. That's something you have for life and it helps you so much for later decision-making. But the key is in order to have that growth, you actually have to figure out a way through the crisis and endure it because otherwise you just lose. Yeah, of course. You, if you do not yeah. get out of it, that's it. There's a very thin line about success and being not successful. It's one number. It's this plus or a minus. If you do not manage to have enough money left and stuff like this, then that's it. There is no coming back from that. It's a very thin line to have success. And we are like balancing on this line since four years <laughs> right now. It's so crazy because, yeah, it never ends. But I really think we are doing uh, how we grew organic during the crisis. I really would like to know how we would have grown organically without crises. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. We like to spread the love a little bit. And I already know you're going to have a big list, but 
what are some of your favorite games that you did not create? Okay, how do we start? Because there are so many games and they are so different. Let's start with Austria. First Escape did build a new game and it's called the Subway. And they basically did make a cooperation with the Viennese underground trains. And what I really loved about the game is how they focus on immersion. And I'm really so happy that Austrian companies are stepping up when it comes to immersion. It's so important. And that's why I like this game so much. Then I have Open the Door Dragon Cave 2.0. It's an amazing game and I really like this. When a puzzle is big and haptical, so you really have to touch big stuff and then put it somewhere and to have a mechanic and it's not like super tiny RFID sensors. It's just like cool. It feels right if you have these cool props for a puzzle. I'm sorry, can you repeat the name of the company in the game again one more time? Open the door, Dragon Cave 2.0. It's the second version of the game Dragon Cave. The first one was already amazing, but sadly it doesn't exist anymore. And so I really love Open the Door, Dragon Cave 2.0. Then Time Busters, the company that was already before us, they had this Western jailbreak room. They have to still have this room. And it's such a, it's a classic game, but it's such a cool puzzle flow. I think a lot of creators and escape room companies forget about what made escape rooms successful in the first place. And this is this amazing game flow. You have this feeling of success and the next puzzle and the next puzzle where everyone is doing some stuff and this completely chaotic and weird situations evolves. And Western Shaping has this amazing puzzle flow. I, I love this so much. This is Vienna. So then there's in Moonscape, that's like in a really small village at Mondsee. There are a couple of owners. They are so passionate. It's a small game, but I don't know how to name anymore because it's Latin. It's like a horror game, but it's they're going like every extra mile they can do to have the group have a good experience. They're so passionate. And to go in such a tiny village where you do not expect something like this, and you have these lovely owners who are going every extra mile for the players and doing stuff I would not do because they want to have them have a good experience. There's just a small thing which blew me away, and I love that game. And then... Escape Room Forkdorf have a really cool Harry Potter themed room I really like. And that's for me, they're the best games in Austria. Can you say the name of that Escape Room company one more time? Escape Room Forkdorf. It's a village which, is, yeah, it's a very usual name. It's a problem. Never call your company Escape Room something. <laughs> People should I, stop with that, you know? <laughs> I'm going to have to try to link all of these in the show notes. Oh I will write you everything. <laughs> we'll get them all in the show notes. There are so many games I really love. Of course, we already said like The Dome from Mama Bazooka, Escape from Netherlands. But then Sherlock. I know the owner and Sherlock the Vault is such an amazing heist game with actors. Amsterdam Catacombs, Dark Park, every single game you should never miss out from Dark Park. But in Barcelona, before the world ended in 2020, I was with other owner, owners in March. <laughs> I was in Barcelona and we had, sadly, we had to stop the trip because the world ended, basically. And we played a lot of games there. Some were amazing. Some were, some were disappointed because I heard so many good things about Barcelona and Terbeka back then. But there's one game which stood out for me most. And it's such a hidden gem. It's not a hidden gem anymore because it's constantly on Topica. And it's called the brewery. And the thing in the game, without spoiling too much, is you just brew beer in the game. And that's the topic. 
And this game is amazing. <laughs> I had so much fun. I didn't expect it at all. And everyone in the group agreed how amazing that game is. And it totally deserves the Topica spot. And yeah, that's the Barcelona, which stood out for me. Then in Germany, of course, Gorillum, the code agency and the room Berlin. In Prague, the chamber. I'm good friends with them. And for me, Poltergeist is one of my favorite horror games ever because I really had this feeling like I'm playing the movie The Ring as a game. And I was shitting my pants. It was such a tight horror game. I was like, oh my God. But they executed it so well with the sound design and with the puzzle even. Because before then, I thought horror topics in escape rooms, it doesn't go well because when you puzzle, you cannot be scared. But it did work. How did it do that? And that's for me like a game with a, which will stick in my head and it's still one of my favorite games of all time. And it totally deserves more attention. Yeah, I think that's basically the, the games which blew me away, but I still there are so many more amazing games I played and this will like next five hours we could talk about that. You know? <laughs> what comes next for you? Are you working on a, is it now fourth room? Fifth room, but I have this, I have the fifth room I have in mind since four years since going underground because the concept of going underground is still a prototype and I totally know what I want to improve. And I have this amazing idea for, I call it my final crime runners room <laughs> because I really do want only one time again in my life to give it all and survive that <laughs> and then go on vacation. But because of the situations we had with pandemic and stuff, it's still not possible to start this game because it's such a major project and it's not possible for us to risk that right now. But it really feels like the final meters that we can finally start to do that maybe 2023. And if it's the last thing I will do in this industry, I really want to build that game. But uh, yeah, it will kill me. <laughs> I think I do totally know what I will expect to build this, but I'm really looking forward to it. Fantastic. Lucas, where can we find you and your company on social media? So basically Facebook, Crimeiners, and on Instagram, Crimeiners Vienna. And of course, TikTok, we have a really cool TikTok channel, which I can recommend because it's so fun because our GMs are doing that. And they're basically doing funny stories about Game Master life in escape rooms. And yeah, it's called Crime Runners. <laughs> so <laughs> that's it. It's not more. It's Crime Runners on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so much, Lucas. This has been a pleasure to catch up with you and hear about all of the things that have inspired you and also kind of gotten in the way along your journey. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was really a pleasure to talk with you guys. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira, edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media, and brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Hi folks, it's that time again, you know the one where we ask you to back us on our Patreon. Now, I know that everyone has Patreon request fatigue. I have it too. And I know that you're used to hearing that it takes a lot of work to make this content and that the money goes a long way, but it really is true. All of the things that we're doing take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. And the support that we get from our Patreon community is invaluable. If you have the money available and love what we're doing, please 
do consider backing us on Patreon. It means more than I think you realize. Thanks. If you have been enjoying the content on Reality Escape Pod, David and I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It really goes a long way towards helping us market the podcast and growing this podcast. We'd like to take a moment to thank our highest tier sponsors, Derek Tam, Breakout Games, Jonathan Driscoll, Pat Tupin, Rex Miller, Paula Swan, Scott Olson, and Byron Delmonico. In the Up the Game conference back then, there was this one single game from an owner I didn't know personally back then. It was Dark Park. And you have a point where you have a crank and you have to wind this crank. And this crank, it was metal. Another team member did wind the crank and it didn't do anything. So he was like, okay, Lucas, you try it out. And I was winding this crank. And the other team member I was staring on the screen and I'm looking at the person and asking, hey, what I'm doing wrong? Is it okay? No, no, continue, continue. And I was winding, I was giving it all. I was winding like my life was depending on this crank. And everyone was giving me like, shit, no, you have to do it stronger and then faster and faster. And I was like, oh my God, my arms are already falling off. I cannot do it anymore. And it felt for me, I was winding this crank like for 10 minutes. I think it was only three minutes, but it was a really long time for one puzzle. And nothing happened. One thing happened. I broke the crank, which was made from metal. I do not know how I did that. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I didn't do that. I was like looking at the cameras and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry because I knew this is not something you can reset easily now. I was like, I know a GM is now in pain right now <laughs> because of me and I was feeling so sorry for this and so we finished the game and I was completely blown away and Heist the owner of Dark Park was waiting for us when we went outside and I was like we were all clapping because this game was so great and the next minute was like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and I was like I really felt so bad about that and he was totally cool totally calm like don't worry it was not your fault it was our fault we, it, it's not a problem and he was saying it's so cool but I knew when I looked in his eyes that he is so stressed out about that because every one of us knows every owner knows this is not something you can reset or repair very easily and it was so funny to see how calm he was and I know in the inside he just wanted to kill me <laughs> yeah <laughs>